Everyone was unfortunately cooped up in the house that typical gray winter afternoon. And as usual, the four little McNeils were at it again, teasing each other, squabbling, bickering, always fighting over their toys. At times like this, Ellen was almost ready to believe that her children didn't love each other, even though she knew that wasn't true. All brothers and sisters fight sometimes, of course, but lately her lively little bunch have been particularly horrid to each other, and especially Eric and Kelly. They were only one year apart. The two of them seemed determined to spend the whole long winter making each other miserable. Give me that, it's mine, Kelly screamed, her voice shrill. It is not, I had it first, Eric answered stubbornly. Ellen sighed as she listened to the latest argument. With Christmas only one month away, the house seemed sadly lacking in Christmas spirit. This was supposed to be the season of sharing and love and warm feelings and happy hearts. A home needed more than just pretty packages and twinkling lights on a tree to fill the holiday with joy. Ellen had only one idea. Years ago, her grandmother told her about an old custom that helped people discover the true meaning of Christmas. Perhaps it could work for her family this year. It was certainly worth a try. She gathered the children together and lined them up on the couch, tallest to smallest. Eric, Kelly, Lisa, Mike. How would you kids like to start a new Christmas tradition this year? She asked. It's like a game, but it can only be played by people who can keep a secret. Can everyone here do that? I can, shouted Eric. I can keep a secret better than him, yelled Kelly. I can do it, chimed in Lisa. Me too, me too, squealed little Mike. I'm big enough. Well then, this is how the game works, Ellen explained. This year we're going to surprise baby Jesus when he comes on Christmas Eve by making him the softest bed in the world. We're gonna fill a little crib with straw and make it comfortable. But here's the secret part. The straw that we put in will measure the good deeds that we've done, but we won't tell anyone who we're doing them for. The children looked confused. But how will we know it's his, how will Jesus know it's his bed, Kelly asked. Oh, he'll know, said Ellen. He'll recognize it by the love we put in it to make it soft. But who will we do the good deeds for? asked Eric, still a little confused. We'll do them for each other. Once a week, we'll put all of our names in a hat, mine and daddy's too, and then we'll pick out a different name. And whichever name we draw, we'll do kind things for that person for a whole week. But you can't tell anyone whose name you've chosen. We'll try to do uh, as many favors for our special person as we can without getting caught. And for every good deed we do, we'll put another straw in the crib. I like, I like this idea, squealed Lisa. It's like being a spy. But what if we pick someone's name that we don't like, Kelly frowned. Ellen thought about it for a minute and said, well, maybe you could use an extra fat piece of straw and think how many, uh, how much faster we'll fill, uh, the fat straws will fill up the crib. We'll use the little cradle in the attic, she said, and we can all go out to the field behind the school for the straw. Without a single argument, the children bundled into their wool hats and mittens, laughing and tumbling out of the house. The field had been covered with tall grass in summer, but now, dead and dried, the golden stalks looked just as like real straw. They 
carefully selected handfuls and placed them in the large box they had carried with them. That's enough, Ellen laughed when the box was almost overflowing. Remember, it's only a small cradle. So home they went to spread their straw carefully on the largest tray that Ellen uh, didn't use. Eric, because he was the eldest, was given the responsibility of climbing up into the attic and bringing down the cradle. We'll pick names as soon as Daddy comes home for dinner, Ellen said, unable to hide a smile at the thought of Mark's pleased reaction to the children's transformed faces and voices, filled now with excited anticipation rather than annoyance. At the supper table that night, six pieces of paper were folded, shuffled and shaken around in Mark's furry winter hat, and then the drawing began. Kelly picked a name first and immediately started to giggle. Lisa reached into the hat, trying to look like a serious spy. Mike couldn't read yet, so Mark whispered the name in his ear, and then Mike quickly ate his little wad of paper so no one would ever learn the identity of his secret person. Eric was next to choose, and as he unfolded the scrap of paper, a frown creased his forehead. But he stuffed the name quickly in his pocket and said nothing. Helen and Mark selected names, and the family was ready to begin. The week that followed was filled with surprises. It seemed the McNeil house had suddenly been invaded by an army of little invisible elves. Kelly would walk into her room at bedtime and find her nightgown neatly laid out and her bed turned down. Someone thought someone cleaned up the sawdust under the workbench without being asked. The jelly blobs magically disappeared from the kitchen counter after lunch one day while Ellen was out getting the mail. And every morning, when Eric was brushing his teeth, someone crept in quietly into his room and made the bed. It wasn't made perfectly, but it was made. The particular little elf must have had short arms because he couldn't seem to reach the middle. Where are my shoes? Mark asked. One morning, no one seemed to know. But suddenly, before he left for work, there they were back in the closet again, freshly shined. Ellen noticed other changes during the week. The children weren't teasing or fighting as much. An argument would start and then suddenly stop right in the middle for no apparent reason. Even Eric and Kelly seemed to be getting along better and bickering less. In fact, there were times when all the children seemed to be smiling, secret smiles and giggling to themselves. And slowly, one by one, the first straws began to appear in the little crib. Just a few, then a few more, day by day. And at the end of their first week, a little pile had accumulated. Everyone was anxious to pick new names, and this time there was more laughter and merriment than there was the first time, except for Eric. Once again, he unfolded his little scrap of paper, glanced at it, stuffed it in his pocket without a word. The second week brought even more astonishing events, and the little pile of straw in the manger grew softer and higher. There was more laughter, less teasing, and and hardly any arguments could be heard around the house. Only Eric had been unusually quiet, and sometimes Ellen would catch him looking a little sad. But the straws in the manger continued to pile up. At last, it was almost Christmas. They chose names for the final time on the night before Christmas Eve, and as they sat around the table waiting for the last set of names to, to be shaken in the hat, the children smiled and looked at the hefty pile of straws. They all knew it was comfortable and soft, but there was one day left, and they could still make it a little deeper, a little softer, and they were going to try.
For the last time the hat was passed around the table, Mike picked out a name and again quickly aped the paper as he had done each previous week. Lisa unfolded hers carefully under the table and peeked at it and then hunched up her shoulders, smiling. Kelly reached into the hat and grinned from ear to ear when she saw the name. Ellen and Mark took their turn and handed the hat with the last name to Eric. And as he unfolded the scrap of paper and glanced at it, his face crumpled and he seemed about to cry. Without a word, he turned and ran from the room. Immediately, everyone jumped up from the table, but Ellen stopped them. No, stay where you are, she said firmly. I'll go. In his room, Eric was trying to pull on his coat with one hand while he picked a small cardboard suitcase out with the other. I have to leave, he said quietly through his tears. If I don't, I'll spoil Christmas. But why and, and where are you going? I can sleep in my snow fort for a couple of days, and I'll come home right after Christmas, I promise. Ellen started to say something about freezing and snow and no mittens or boots, but, but Mark, who'd come up quietly behind her, gently laid his hand on her arms and shook his head. The front door closed and together they watched through the window as the little figure with the sadly slumped shoulders trudged across the street and sat down on a snowbank near the corner. It was dark outside and cold, and a few flurries drifted down on the small boy in his suitcase. Give him a few minutes alone, Mark said quietly. I think he needs them, and then you can talk to him. The huddled figure was already dusted with white when Ellen walked across the street and sat down beside him on the snowbank. What is it, Eric? You've been so good these last few weeks, and I know there's been something bothering you since we started the crib. Can you tell me, honey? Oh, Mom, <laughs> don't you see? He sniffed. I, I tried so hard, but I can't do it anymore. And now I'm gonna wreck Christmas for everybody. <laughs> and with that, he burst into sobs and threw himself into his mother's arms. Mom, the little boy choked. You just don't know. I got Kelly's name every time and I hate Kelly. I tried, Mom, I really did. I snuck into her room every night and I fixed her bed. I even laid out her crummy nightgown. I let her use my race car one day, but she smashed it right into the wall like always. Every week when he picked new names, I thought it would be over. And tonight when I got her name again, I knew I couldn't do it anymore. If I try, I'll probably punch her instead. If I stay home and beat Kelly up, I'm gonna spoil Christmas for everyone. The two of them sat there together quietly for a few minutes and then Ellen spoke softly. Eric, I'm so proud of you. Every good deed you did should count double because it was so hard for you to be nice to Kelly for so long. But you did those good deeds anyway, one straw at a time. You gave your love when it wasn't easy to give. And maybe that's what the spirit of Christmas is all about. Maybe it's the hard good deeds and the difficult straws that make that crib really special. You're the one who's probably added the most important straws this year. Ellen paused, stroking his head and pressed tightly against her shoulder. Now, how would you like a chance to earn a few easy straws like the rest of us? I still have my name in my pocket and I haven't looked at it. Why don't we switch 
for the last day, and it will be our little secret. Eric lifted his head and looked into her face, his eyes wide. That's not cheating? It's not cheating, she said. And together, they dried the tears, brushed off the snow, and walked back to the house. The next day, the whole family was busy cooking and straightening up the house for Christmas Day, wrapping last-minute Christmas presents and trying hard, trying hard to keep from bursting with excitement. But even with all the activity and eagerness, a flurry of new straws piled up in the crib, and by nightfall, the little manger was almost overflowing. At different times while passing by, each member of the family, big and small, would pause and look at the wondrous pile for a, for a moment and then smile before going on. But who could really know? One more straw might really make all the difference. For that reason, just before bedtime, Ellen tiptoed quietly to Kelly's room to lay out that little blue nightgown and to turn down her bed. But she stopped in the doorway, surprised. Someone had already been there. The nightgown was laid across the bed and a small red race car had been placed next to it on the pillow. The last straw was Eric's after all. What's Christmas about? Is it about how much we can get or how much we can give? I tell you one of the easiest and most valuable gifts you can give to others is your love and your time. During a time when isolation has separated so many of us, uh, the gift of time, the gift of togetherness is so, so important. I'd encourage you, spend some time this afternoon giving the gift of time the gift of love, the gift of togetherness. And you can do it as easy as picking up your phone and giving someone else a call. Maybe it's a family member you haven't talked to in a while. Maybe it's a church member uh, who you know is alone during the holidays, during this time. Maybe it's a, it's a neighbor that you wanna give a call to, uh, a friend from work. Uh, or somebody who's stopped attending church and you want to encourage. Put your straw in the metaphorical manger uh, this Sabbath day, this special Christmas Sabbath. Do something for others. I know you won't regret it, and neither will I. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your love. And at, at this special Christmas time, when we think about uh, the greatest gift, uh, the gift of Jesus and uh, his physical presence in our world, his gift of everlasting eternal life promised before the world uh, was even made. Lord, our hearts are just filled with gratitude we can't wait till um, you come back, Lord Jesus. You make everything new. And you wipe away death and disease and sorrow and suffering. We look forward to those days. And as we wait, Lord, show us how we can make a difference in people's lives day by day. Father, right now, 
I pray you'll put someone in our mind and heart that we can call or text or, or message or write a letter to, some way to encourage this afternoon. Use us, we pray. Fill us with your joy. And we look forward to seeing you someday, face to face. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas, and we will see you next year. God bless.